This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, you betcha, yeah. Oh, wait. I drink it up. First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. Some of us pump, and some of us slump. Joining me, per usual, is Mr. Positivity, Wolfie T. You crazy if you think I'm going to walk up some dark alley with a large orange hat on my head and a whistle. What's up? Not much. How are you feeling today? Pretty, pretty, pretty good. I'm sure your fantasy team's going to win. Going to pull it out? I hope so. I just Jamal need, Williams give uh, you two touchdowns? I just need Jeff Wilson to not outscore Travis Kelsey and Debo Samuel by like 20. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm okay. I think I'm doing okay. Yeah, I think I'm in trouble with Tampa's defense. Yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good. All right, well, enough of that. Everybody wants to hear about our fantasy football teams. I've heard that's like everybody's favorite topic is other people's <laughs> fantasy football teams. Of course. <laughs> Especially on a movie podcast. That's what mm-hmm. y'all tuned in for. Bunch of football fans listening to the, the, the movie podcast. Especially on a movie podcast in the middle of October when they're doing their annual horror extravaganza yes which we are uh, if twitter is to believe to be believed i've i've heard it is officially spooky season well call me officially spooked <laughs> i don't know if you're gonna cut this out but halloween is the only time that you're allowed to hang a spook from a tree in your yard <laughs> you might cut that out i don't know it's so <laughs> i can hear clint eastwood right now <laughs> Fuck you looking at old man. Huh? The hell are these spooks up to? Spooks? <laughs> you better get your ass on, honky, while I still let you. That's right. That's you better do. Uh, I like that people don't know that that's a racial slur and they just throw it out there just like all the time. Spooky? No, spook. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were going to uh, educate me on how the term spooky was derived from spook and that we. <laughs> can't use the term spooky now or something i don't know i wouldn't mind that but like people (laughs) talk about spooks and ghouls and goblins and ghosts and you know i'm gonna hang some spooks from the tree in front of my house for halloween i don't think i've ever heard anybody say that i've heard it Um, never heard that wording (laughs) arranged that way like how are you gonna how are you gonna decorate for halloween oh yeah we might hang some some spooks out in the front yard on you know from the tree (laughs) <laughs> uh oof. any other time of the year you'd be like red flag red flag, red flag. <laughs> do the people who tell you this also have a lawn jockey in the front yard you'd be looking for trump flags you know <laughs> <laughs> no it's usually the the anti-trump crowd that is into that type of thing yeah all right well that's neither here nor there 
people want to hear what's coming up on the horror extravaganza they can't wait lots of stuff coming up yeah we are tentatively going to record our episode with Stu from the midnight movie cowboys on friday the 13th uh, next weekend and then we're going to be doing an episode on the movie friday the 13th we're not recording on <laughs> the date friday. well i said sunday <laughs> well next you weekend you said the weekend that's right the weekend uh yeah <laughs> there isn't a friday the 13th until january so uh mm-hmm. i was disappointed don't despair we're we're covering the movie the original one not the uh, michael bay one yeah and after that we're going to be uh talking with zolly becker again he's uh ready to come back on the show to talk about a b horror film called sorority babes in the slime ball bolorama which brett has never seen but i have and it is very entertaining and i think it'll lead to a deeper discussion about b movies and things of that nature b movie scream queens and we could probably talk about his uh, recent trip to crypticon <laughs> that i yeah, skipped I, I saw he posted several pictures on his twitter from there <laughs> with sure people did. who i didn't recognize I, I didn't recognize like any of them but uh they should I, if he had put a name in the background i might have been like oh okay i well the ginger I lynn one had the, her banner was right behind it, it said ginger lynn and that's the only one that had the name in it. I'm like, okay, I've heard of her. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm sure you've just heard of her. <laughs> heard of her on VH1 back in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> you never saw her prior to... She might have been on The Surreal Life. I don't know. Her roles in Rob Zombie's films. <laughs> Speaking of Rob Zombie's films, just real quick, <laughs> coming to a recently seen New Year, uh, uh, recently seen episode New Year You, have you seen the monsters <laughs> not yet i plan to though because i really like to uh be informed when i listen to the mmc's uh take on the monsters they've been doing a whole month on the monsters they've gone over the entire history the show the movies the uh the reboots yeah it's been a lot of fun because they had uh Garrow on again he has has been a while since garrow has been on <laughs> You'll notice that there are several edits in the the episodes with Garrow. <laughs> yep. It's coincidental. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. Did you read that article from, uh, it was with Variety that Rob Zombie did, but it was on Yahoo. I put it in the uh, MMC Discord uh, group there. And uh, he kind of explained like his decision behind like the color palette because uh, the studio wouldn't let him shoot in black and white. So he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the, the complete opposite. And then uh, like all the other decisions he made that, which sounds like totally uh, like opposite of what he should have been doing. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Bob Zombie. No, he, he's like, how could, uh, how could you know what's going on with the, it's, it's not fair to assume people know what's going on with the monsters without giving an origin story. <laughs> and uh we're like no no we we get it we get the joke like you don't need to tell us where they came from like we know the monsters it's been all the rage since the late aughts with the friday the 13th reboot and nightmare on elm street where we got to give everyone a backstory or well, rob zombie started it with halloween yeah that he did yeah everyone's been following that blueprint and i don't know why because it's kind of a failing blueprint he also talked about 
you know, he doesn't have kids, so he doesn't understand. And when people come up to him and tell him that their kids like his movie, and he's like, I didn't make it for kids. I don't have kids. I don't understand kids. I was like, you made a kid's movie. Like, <laughs> It's been a while since I watched Rob Zombie's Halloween's. Now, the second one delves deep into Michael Myers' backstory, and specifically when he's a child, right? Do they really delve into his background in the first one? The first one does. The, the, the second one I've never seen, so I don't know. I can't comment on that but the first one starts with michael myers as a child and like goes through with uh malcolm mcdowell as his therapist and Mm -hmm. like how he makes all these masks and stuff and he kills animals for fun and it it goes uh it goes pretty heavy like the first hour is uh michael myers as a a a psychopathic child see those ran together for me because i was thinking that was in the second one but you haven't seen it so that makes sense. The second one's, right. I remember the second one being nuts. <laughs> it's all over the place. Like, hey, at least he uh, he swung for the fences with that one. Didn't connect. But I heard the second one, like, the studio didn't like what he was doing with it. So he just said, fuck it. And just did, like, a bunch of shit that the studio didn't like or something. I don't know. I could be getting that backwards. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I heard, like, he just kind of, like, said fuck you to the studio making the second one <laughs> and like made it bad on purpose mm-hmm. but i'd like to see it at some point let's see after the zolly episode we're gonna be doing one on a couple of horror spoofs or maybe just one i don't know i don't know if i have time for a double episode but i'm sure it'll be student bodies or tucker and dale we do want a horror spoof i know that for sure yes and then maybe even a Thanksgiving one. We'll see. So there's a lot coming down the pipeline that hasn't been blown up or sabotaged in any way. The horror films are flowing through it freely. I did recently purchase the complete Thanksgiving collection, mm. which consists of Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving 3. Mm-hmm. Because they skipped the sequel. Kind of like uh, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. <laughs> See, yeah, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 was, uh, it was like a found footage type thing. It was like a a movie that was taped off of a late night TV in the 80s. But like, I don't know. I forget what the the deal was, but uh, it was like the last one of its uh, in existence. Whereas uh, Thanksgiving was just like a gimmick. Like they they made Thanksgiving 2, but then they destroyed every copy. Because it sucked so bad. And that's like the premise of the Thanksgiving 3 is like there's one copy left and Turkey has to go and destroy it. Speaking of bros. <laughs> so uh, the theater I work at opened bros this weekend and I had not heard of this film. Not one little tidbit, nothing. How have you not, have you not heard of this? They've been advertising it for months. Well, I, you know, I cut the cord about two years ago. So I know. I guess, I guess, you, I I guess you haven't trailer. been to the you haven't been out uh, watching trailers uh, yeah. recently. Why well, I haven't been able to see a movie in a theater for three months. That's so, true. So like, yeah, we got the poster last week and I opened it up and it's, it's just bros. It's just a picture, a close up of two guys butts and they're grabbing each other. Yeah. And it says, uh, here's a comedy with all the feels. So I thought it was a comedy in the vein of like, uh, I love you, man. 
but more like a frat boy type. No, it's like like a Judd Apatow. It's like the gayest. It's the gayest movie ever made. And then I noticed all the clientele that were coming to this movie. And it was a lot of old guys at first. And I'm like, why are they here to see bros? <laughs> Some by themselves. And then uh, couples of old older gentlemen started showing up. And then just couples <laughs> started showing up. I was like, oh, maybe I should look into this. <laughs> this might be completely different than what I thought it was. And it was indeed. Yeah. One of the taglines in the trailer is, remember straight people? Yeah, they had a good run. <laughs> and Billy Eichner, I didn't even, I've heard of him. I know he did a, did or does a show called Billy on the Street or whatever. Yeah. But I know inkling of who he was really or that he's gay. I didn't know. Oh, he's, so, he's really, he's really gay. He's like really in your face. I've never that, watched so. any of that stuff. So I watched Billy on the Street from time to time and I mean, it was okay. I mean, he was pretty flamboyant and screamed mm. in people's faces basically he would run up on the street with somebody and ask him a question and if they got it right he would give him a dollar or something mm. and uh that was kind of the gist of it but uh i don't know if he does that anymore uh i know he's really really big into like twitter activism but yeah that uh bros is uh definitely uh pushing to be like the the gayest movie you know <laughs> ever, ever released to the mainstream and uh i heard the marketing didn't really pay off for it yeah it, bombed. It, it did not do very well at the box i skipped it i personally skipped it i felt like it was not for me so it I, didn't, I didn't i didn't it didn't warrant it. a watch using your a-list no i, I but cats it. did yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um <laughs> I to be fair, I also skipped The Good House, which is a rom-com featuring Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein. Mm. Because I don't really care to watch people in their 70s have sex. Mm. It's kind of gross. Speaking of that, just quickly on one of my streaming platforms, I saw that The Protégé was <laughs> recently added. I was like, God, I gotta, I gotta see that, see that Michael Keaton sex scene with Maggie Q. <laughs> oh, I may, I may have overhyped it. <laughs> in fact, I don't, I don't even know if they show it. I, they might show them like in bed, and then like cut to them like the next morning or like mm. right after or something. But uh, it's, it's very implied. They're in bed, and he leans over and says you want to get nuts let's get nuts <laughs> she's she starts reaching for me like no i want some peanuts uh, <laughs> all right hungry. well i need a snack too many tangents just real quick <laughs> just real quick <laughs> let's get to the evil dead here that's what we're talking about today the evil dead the original from 1981 yes directed and written by sam raimi he did the Spider-Mans. He did. And he did the new Doctor Strange, which sucked pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, but I heard it was just Sam Raimi-y enough to keep Sam Raimi fans satisfied. Yeah, I think the people who are really into Sam Raimi uh, put on some rose-tinted glasses when they went to see that movie. Because mm-hmm. uh, that movie was not good. <laughs> 
You'll remember my uh, letterbox review of that in which I called it, quote, dumb, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so this film stars Bruce Campbell as Ash, Ashley J. Williams, Ellen Sandwise as Cheryl, Richard uh, Demancor, Demanicor as Scott, Betsy Baker is Linda. That's Asha's girlfriend. Teresa Tilly as Shelly. And then we have a lot of fake shimps. <laughs> Did you notice the, the fake shimps in the, uh, in the cast list? Including the likes of Sam Raimi himself. Uh, other Raimis as in Ivan. Is this Ted in here? Ted. Yep. Ted's in here. John Cameron. Joanne Cruz, I think that's about it. Just a bunch of random people, uh, people, part of the crew. So have you heard the term fake shimp before? I've, I've heard it uh, until just about 10 minutes ago when I was reading through the trivia. I was not familiar with the definition. Yeah, neither had I uh, really. Um, so here's the definition or here's the, here's the backstory and the definition. So Ramey had been a big fan of the Three Stooges during his youth, which inspired him to use fake shimps during production. So in any scene that required a background shot of a character, he used another actor as a substitute if the original actor was preoccupied. So during a close-up involving Scott's hand opening a curtain, uh, it's actually Ramey using his own hand in the scene since it was more convenient. His brother Ted uh, was also used as a fake shimp in many scenes when the original actor was either busy or preoccupied. So a fake shimp is a type of body double who appears in a film as a replacement for another actor or person, usually when the original actor has died or is unable to or unwilling to reprise their role. Their appearance is disguised using methods such as heavy makeup or CGI, filming from the back, uh, dubbing in audio, splicing in past footage, uh, using a uh, sound-alike voice actor, or using partial shots of the actor. But I guess it was actually coined by uh, Ramey himself. The term is named after Shemp Howard of the Three Stooges, of course, whose sudden death in 1955 necessitated the use of these techniques to finish the films to which he was already committed. So once uh, somewhat commonplace throughout the 20th century, the use of fake Shemp's to emulate the likeness of another person without their permission is now forbidden under the Screen Actors Guild contracts, largely because of a lawsuit filed by Crispin Glover following his replacement by Jeffrey Weissman in Back to the Future Part Two, That determined that that method violates the original actor's personality rights. The method continues to be used in cases such as Shemp's, uh, where the original actor is deceased and permission from the deceased actor's estate is granted. So... Still happens on a smaller scale, you know, if they get permission, but they're doing that to James Earl Jones. Yeah. His AI voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw a couple articles this week about how Bruce Willis is the first person to sell his digital copy. Did you see that article? No. So they say Bruce Willis has made a bunch of money by selling his likeness. You know, they, they could deep fake him and put him in movies. Oh, nice. <laughs> And then uh, representatives from Willis debunked that. So apparently it didn't happen, but I'm sure they're trying to do it. (laughs) 
I mean, back in the 90s, they started doing that with like John Wayne to sell uh, beer. Yeah. Did he yeah. sell High Life? I forget. Um, there's yeah, I remember a, that ad, it? but I can't remember the beer. Was it Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly was selling uh, vacuum cleaners? One of those two <laughs> that was selling vacuum cleaners. <laughs> um, a lot of the recent Star Wars has done that with their. Uh, yeah. Their, uh, so you talked about Peter actors. Cushing and Princess Carrie Leia. Fisher, of course. Yeah. They, they did that to Paul Walker and yeah. the uh, Fast and Furious. Of course, that, that's also with permission, and they used his brother. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the same technique, but they're getting permission to do it now <laughs> instead of just not. <laughs> of course, Crispin Glover is the one that made it uh, <laughs> illegal, you know. But yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't notice it like watching this movie, watching The Evil Dead. Like I didn't notice like people just not being the the right actor in the background. Yeah, pretty much. Of course. For a lot of it, people were just wearing makeup and stuff because they're possessed. So I don't know if uh, if that made a difference or not. All right. Well, we went through the cast. Let's go to the synopsis. Five friends travel to a cabin in the woods where they unknowingly release flesh-possessing demons. So I guess let's just start with general impressions. Uh, when was the first time he saw it? What were your thoughts then, and what are your thoughts now? When did I see this? You saw it at a at an event, a screening last year, the year before. Yeah, last year I saw it at a Fathom event for the 40th anniversary, but I had seen it before. I want to say maybe I don't know six or seven years ago. I'm trying to think because I I had watched the trilogy probably within a year of each other, and then. Uh, and that was probably a couple years before Ash versus Evil Dead came out. And then I've I've seen all of those episodes. Mm-hmm. I've not seen the remake. I would have seen this one after the remake came out, I think. So okay. maybe I don't know, between 2014 and 2016. I I don't know. That would be my guess. Okay. First re- reaction. I don't know if I appreciated it as much the first time around um i think as i watched more of the sequels uh, the second one and the third one i I came to appreciate it more um i think Mm -hmm. i liked the second one a little bit better um although the second one is very similar to to this one only there's like more comedy and more obviously more money in the budget to do things that uh they weren't able to do in this one uh but also delves deeper into the uh the folklore i guess of the uh what they eventually come to call the deadites and then uh, obviously army of army of darkness right yeah is uh i keep mixing that up with the zack snyder army, army of the dead army or, of the or dead. army of shadows which is <laughs> which is neither but um yeah i like that one but that one's almost like completely a comedy you know mm-hmm. um ash versus evil dead uh yeah i was super into that series from the start um it just kind of takes everything to the maximum and uh you know digs even deeper into it because it you know they have more time to expand the stories and the folklore and everything else 
So I think on subsequent rewatches, I, I've come to appreciate this more, uh, the original. Um, watching it this time, I really noticed like how great the camera work was. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, some of the other techniques that they used to cover up the, the low budget and the inexperienced act- actors and and it's uh it's a really well made movie and uh, mm-hmm. yeah I, I i really enjoyed it a lot uh watching it this time not that i didn't like it the you know before but yeah i think i found it you know even more of an appreciation for it yeah i'm kind of with you uh i first saw this back in college so this is the mid aughts and I was probably drunk when I watched it or something. I don't know. Inebriated, I'm sure. And I mean, it was one of those, it's a midnight movie. So it's a movie to, you know, kick back and relax and then <laughs> enjoy some zany uh, horror comedy. But I don't think I've watched the original 15 years, I'd say. Because, I mean, I remembered it enough. But thinking of the original, I had this notion that the original wasn't very good. Right. And that basically all it is is unintentionally funny. Um, and, you know, the, the sequel is the, re- the, real, the real gem of the series. And basically the sequel is just the original on a bigger budget. Kind of like mm. El Mariachi and Desperado. Right. You know, Desperado is basically the first movie just redone with a bigger budget. Exactly. And it's been a while since I've watched Evil Dead 2. In fact, the last time I saw it was at the theater I used to work at. It was the first midnight showing after they reopened after the renovation. And I passed out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is that's another one I haven't seen in probably 15 years. I know I've watched bits and pieces on TV over the years, but not recently at all. And you know, I know they embrace the comedy with the second one, but the first one, th- there, uh, there are things that are unintentionally funny. You know, some campy acting. There's camp in general with a, a, bu- a budget this low, but technically the movie is incredible. Like you said, but the camera work is outstanding. Yes. Uh, like watching, I had so many questions. Like, how did they do that? Like, it starts out with the <laughs> camera zooming over a pond. And it's like, God, that, that must have taken a lot because I know they didn't have a steady cam. Right. Steady exactly. cam was was new on the scene and it would have been way too expensive for this film. And actually, I looked it up because there's another term that I learned while researching this film Dutch angle. You ever heard of a Dutch angle? Yes. Okay. I'm not. You've I never, heard film of school. A, never heard of a Dutch angle? No. I forget where I've heard it, but like people, I, I've heard it brought up before and it's basically when your when your camera is mm-hmm. uh, tilted like at an angle, like it's not like yeah. straight. Like normally you would film like you know straight up, you know, ninety degrees to the floor or whatever. Yeah. So the crew was surprised when Raimi began using Dutch angles during shots to build atmosphere uh, to accommodate his style direction. Several elaborate low budget rigs had to be built since they the crew couldn't even afford a, a camera dolly. So no, no steady cam, no dolly even. And one involved the called the Vasa cam, 
which relied on a mounted camera that was slid down long wooden platforms to create a more fluid sense of motion. And then, of course, the Dutch angle, also known as Dutch tilt, canted angle or oblique angle. It's a type of camera shot which involves setting the camera at an angle on its roll axis so that the shot is composed with vertical lines and an angle to the side of, this, of the frame, or so that the horizon line of the shot is not parallel with the bottom of the camera frame. As you said, it's akin to tilting one's head to the side. Right. And it was strongly associated with German, uh, a German movie scene during the Expressionist movement. And they used that angle extensively there. So now I got to go back and watch Rumblefish again because they that was all like German Expressionism. See if they use some Dutch angles. Because I mean, also, you know, German Expressionism, there's a lot of very smoky. And this movie is very smoky. And Evil Dead is it very is. smoky. Yes. The fog machines that, you know, half the, over half the budget has got to be makeup and special effects. <laughs> and the other half has got to be smoke machines. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I've heard Dutch angle, it's, it's generally a criticism of newer movies that use too much of it. Yeah. That's, it's mostly when I hear about it. It was like, oh, they use too many Dutch angles. And that's like, okay. Yeah. yeah, my uh, so my digital production professor used to always it was basically talked about how it's a general rule of thumb. You never want to draw attention to the camera. Right. So you don't want to ever basically zoom in, zoom out. That's why it's very rare. You know, there's exceptions to every rule, of course, but it's always very rare uh, when you see any film that actually features a camera that zooms in, zooms out, because then, you know, it's a camera that's moving in and out, you know. You don't want to move the camera too quickly. You know, things become blurry and you definitely don't want to, you know, tilt the camera like this, uh, do all these Dutch angles because <laughs> definitely draws attention to the camera. Right. See, that was the rule of thumb up until like the last 15 years. And now like, yeah. every movie does it and every movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always times when it works, but that's the thing is like you learn all the rules and then you want to be different so you start doing everything opposite of what the rules say to do mm-hmm. and and some directors are good at it and you know it works and some go overboard or they're not skilled at it and it sucks <laughs> but uh yeah but like even like the uh like big budget stuff does like the zoom in zoom out and you know yeah. camera flies around and all that stuff American Beauty was one of the big ones that it's kind of like the whole metaphor for that movie is look closer and the camera's constantly zooming in and out, whether mm-hmm. it's Wes Bentley with his handheld or just the uh, Sam Mendes in general. And then you got people like JJ Abrams. <laughs> God, I, mean, I can't see the fucking movie because there's so much flair. It's like stop stop, <laughs> stop aiming your camera at the light source, please. <laughs> Like fix your lighting. I did find here in the uh, IMDb trivia the opening sequence of the evil moving over the pond was achieved by having Bruce Campbell push Sam Raimi in a dinghy while he uh, filmed the shot. I figured that's the only way they could have done it. They probably slow cranked it, and then because uh, you see it, I believe after it, you know it goes over the the pond, and then it lands and it keeps going. Yeah. So I think it must have been a smooth transition from the boat uh, to land. And they probably, you know, slow cranked it and then sped it up 
and then yeah they probably just held it down low and just kind of i don't know basically you know walked it with a very steady hand if you will (laughs) it's really impressive though yeah for sure and i mean they're not obviously they're sam raimi's not the first to do this even in a horror film i guess i call it i wrote it down in my notes as the spirit cam basically Mm-hmm. You can call it a demon cam, whatever you want, but it's a it's basically a, a POV of the evil spirits, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the implication. And there's been plenty of POV shots. Um, do you think Psycho was kind of like the first with the horror film with the POV shot? I think there's that one. When did Peeping Tom come out? Because I think that's the other one that was kind of the innovator of of that type of thing. Peeping Tom, also 1960. Because Psycho is 1960, right? Yeah. But uh, Peeping Tom, if I remember correctly, yeah. was um, he would film his uh, his victims as he was murdering them. And then like they would show it from the, the point of view of the camera that, that he's using. Yeah. And his victims would just stay there and get stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> like They wouldn't run away. POV uh, shots, which we talk about extensively on student bodies if we do it. Even uh, I think Tucker and Dale might have some of that stuff too, but uh, yeah, student bodies for sure because they have uh, what's the what's the killer's name the the breather, the breather. because <laughs> that was the trademark in the, the early slash slasher movies yep. is you'd get the POV of the killer and you just hear him breathing really heavy, yep. heavily. You'll hear about it in the next episode on Friday the Thirteenth. It begins with POV shots. Yes. Black Christmas. I know there's a bunch of POV shots. So that was 76. I want to say 74, wasn't it? Yeah, it might have been. But uh, yeah, POV shots have been around for a long time. But I'm of the thinking that if you have such a low budget for a film, your only choice is to be creative. Yes. So you don't have to, I don't think you have to adhere to the strict film rules. You know, do whatever you want, especially. It's his first film, Swing for the Fences. I don't mind if it, you know, some people will kind of poo-poo artists, you know, first one or two films. Like, oh, it looks like a looks like a student film or a student director, you know, doing all these, all the stuff they learned in film like, class. Kind of is. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make it a bad movie, though. Yeah, that's the thing, you know. And it comes down to people's taste, too, but still. There, yeah, there's a lot of directors whose first one or two movies are probably their best Mm -hmm. it's uh yeah i will say uh sam raimi a lot of the the techniques he used in this movie kind of became a trademark of his and uh well it works just like perfectly almost in in the evil dead movies and some of his other ones it becomes a little too much oh yeah i I, yeah and uh i don't know it just doesn't work as well in, in some of the other movies that i've seen from him that's my opinion though yeah getting back to the franchise as a whole i'm guessing i'll like two the best can't say for sure now because it's been so long since i've watched it because this one really impressed me i liked it more than i thought i would revisiting it Uh, i remember trying to watch army of darkness a couple of times say in the past 10 years or so and it must have had the itis both times because i (laughs) think twice in a row i fell asleep and i was not drinking or anything like that it was yeah they'll sleep and i was i was enjoying it but i don't know i mean 
I just told you I passed out in Evil Dead 2, so but but I was drunk for right. that one, so it doesn't count. But um yeah, I love the series. I really like the remake a lot. I wouldn't say it's better than the original or Evil Dead 2 or anything, but a worthy reboot. And uh yeah, I would say probably Army of Darkness is probably the weakest entry. So I think I'd prefer the series over the third Evil Dead. I think army of darkness is good but it's so much different than the other entries in the series Mm. that it's it's kind of hard to compare it because it's set in um medieval times yeah and it's like i said it's almost completely comedic yeah like it's it's just like normally a, a horror movie but it's it's more so a comedy than anything else Mm-hmm. like there's little like animated skeletons that he's got to fight <laughs> that's just like they like multiply and it's i i don't know it's just like a uh, it's a comedy but it's it's a good movie um but it's hard to compare it to the other movies because it's such a departure just in every single way yeah so i guess <laughs> we've talked about a lot of the film and yet haven't really started the plot yet but I think um, a lot of the talking points are just about the film in general and the kind of how groundbreaking it was at the time, especially for such a small budget. Yeah. It's very impressive for first time filmmaker, Sam Raimi. Just a little more background on it. So the film received an X rating. Uh, It's since been re-rated NC-17 for substantial graphic horror violence and gore though many recent home uh, media releases have been released without a rating. Now, I didn't look at the Anchor Bay Blu-ray that I have. It's got an older one, but I um, yeah. I think it's it unrated. Okay. But NC-17 seems really severe. Yeah. Like, there's nothing in this movie that's any more extreme than a, in, like, I don't know, virtually any other movie like it. I mean, nowadays, <laughs> I could see it getting nc-17 at the time in 81 i mean it got next but it would have to be for for violence because there's no sex there's no nudity correction Um, there is sex and there is nudity oh i guess that scene might do it (laughs) you're right but they didn't i don't know did they write stuff nc-17 for for that type of thing (laughs) I guess that might that might put it over the edge. I don't know. It's been so long since I I looked at the the rating system, but I, I did like a I did a whole breakdown back in college of going over the MPAA and its inception and you know throughout the 20th century how it changed. I forget when NC17 was instituted. I think it was probably after 81. Oh yeah, I think it was in the 90s. Yeah. Even. Maybe early 90s. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a PG-13 in 81. No, was PG-13 started in, what, 84? Or yeah, it came out right after... Uh, was, was Temple Gremlins. of Doom and Gremlins. Yeah, Gremlins was like the, the last one that made it. Well, I forget, was that the first PG-13 or the last PG that they're like, okay, we need a PG-13? forget now because I think they would have re-rated Temple of Doom PG-13 you know, after the fact, but I remember uh, the Flamingo Kid was the first film that was in the can with the PG-13 rating, but it wasn't the first one released. Mm-hmm. It's actually on the website. 
our website, wtmwatchthismovie.com, I have the history <laughs> of the MPAA and NC-17. Yeah, I should just look. I should just go straight to the source. Go and check out our websites. <laughs> so IMDb says that a woman is almost sexually assaulted by a possessed tree. <laughs> grabs her by the ass, but she escapes. That's not um, what that big branch did. Yeah, during the unrated version, it says the breast is fully shown during the the tree scene, which I, yeah, I do. I saw. Now. I saw boob. I do recall that now. I uh. I guess I repressed that horrific memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. Okay. So I've heard Red Dawn is the first film to be released with the PG 13 rating. That's what I have in my rating here. I, I didn't know Flamingo Kid, but it looks like yeah, Red Dawn was first to be released with the PG 13. I was also yeah. thinking there was another one that I've heard in years since I, I did this uh, analysis back in college. So this is, this is old, but anyways, um, NC-17 was introduced in September of 1990. First film to receive it was Henry and June in 1990. And Showgirls was the first uh, NC-17 that received a wide release and killed the rating. <laughs> and now it's being revived with Blonde, which I haven't not seen, but I've heard that it's not NC-17 material. I've heard mixed reviews mm-hmm. on Blonde. I hear I'm supposed to be angry. I heard you're not supposed to watch it. Oh. <laughs> Exploitative. It's problematic. It's funny because if they would have uh, treated it with kid gloves, they would have said, how dare they? Her life wasn't all rainbows and gumdrops. Right. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched that either. It's almost three hours long, if, yeah. I, if I've uh, heard correctly. But um, yeah, it sounds like it's, uh, I don't know. I, I've heard a lot of people say that we're at a point where R-rated movies are uh, like they're for kids now. So like anything that has like actual adult, not like pornographic content, but like mature content mm-hmm. is like too much for the average R-rated going movie audience. But then again, like they'll give R ratings to stuff that's just like so over the top, like uh, that's like way more extreme or you know violent or sexual than you know the movies that they give NC seventeen to. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. I would if I ever had problems with getting a rating, you know, when I'm shooting films in my uh, off time. I would just resubmit it over and over again until I got her R rating. Cause eventually you're going to find somebody who is just going to give it an R. Right. Or you, or you De Palma it and uh, say you're going to cut it and then just resubmit the same one over, yeah. you know, and uh, they don't and know. So the I difference. do. I go, oh yeah. I'll cut this. And then just, <laughs> cause the, the same person does not review it the second time. Yeah. That seems like a good, uh, a good process. At least usually that's the way they used to do it. it used to be a random person. Yeah. That sounds about right. He's usually just a Joe Schmo. Some family, family man, family woman, get a movie in the mail and they'd watch it and rate it. It was very, very arbitrary. Just don't put any cigarettes in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless it's within a historical context. And then it's mm-hmm. kind of okay, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> 
Uh, I guess one more thing to talk about with the setup of this film is this Anchor Bay release that we have has, I guess, both versions. Because this was originally released uh, 1 to 31, 1 to 33 to 1 aspect ratio. I've also heard 137 to 1 frame, but basically 133 to 1, the full frame picture aspect ratio. It was uh, shot on a 16 millimeter uh, Kodak film stock and it was blown up for a 35 millimeter presentation. Now the, the Blu-ray I have, that we both watched, has both the 133 to one and the director approved 185 one uh, widescreen presentation. It says director enhanced, is that what it says? I think so. Director approved enhanced version or something? Yeah, something like that. So Ramey approved it. So I watched some of both versions. I watched the whole thing on uh, widescreen but I did watch some clips uh, with the full frame. They both look great. I hear the, the 4K release also has both aspect ratios, but I know some people online talk about how there's some stuff cut out, you know, with the enhanced version, you, when you blow up the 4.3, you know, you lose certain bits. You know, this isn't Citizen Kane, but right. still, I mean, you, <laughs> with something like this, you would still want the director's approval. But I think, you know, like you said, they, they originally filmed it on the, the cheaper film stock that they could get, and then they, they blew it up to, a, you know, yeah, a 35. size that they could, you know, actually release to theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would kind of expect, like, if there's things cropped out of the top and the bottom of the screen to make the widescreen version, I would almost expect that they filmed it that way intentionally with the, uh, with the idea that they would be cutting that part of the uh, picture off, you know, when they do the, the transition to the 35 millimeter. Cause I think the 35 millimeters that's widescreen, you know, in general, right? Like that's, uh, and then 16 millimeter is square. Well, so I've, I've seen some differing accounts online. That's why I've been kind of frustrated trying to figure out was the entire release full frame widescreen. Like, what is it here? When I saw the fathom event for this last year, they had a, like a Q and a type of thing with Bruce Campbell before the movie. And they, they did talk about this, but I don't remember which aspect ratio they actually showed the film in. I kind of wish I I did or had gone back and trying to find that that featurette, but uh, I just remember they talked about it. I don't remember what the actual aspect ratio was when they showed it in the theater. So, some guy named Adam Tyner <laughs> replied to a, a question on some blog twenty years ago. Here's what he had to say. Evil Dead was shot flat on 60 millimeter at 1 to 37 to 1 and framed for 166 to 1. According to Bill Warren's The Evil Dead Companion, a book in which most everyone associated with the film in any capacity participated. Given the nature of the shoot, it's not surprising that the 166 to 1 framing was somewhat spotty. The premiere was held in an older theater that accommodated the 1 to 37 to 1 aspect ratio. That was the only time. Uh, according to the Evil Dead Companion, it was exhibited unmatted during its original theatrical run. 
the image, at least in my opinion, does doesn't suffer from the lack of mats. The film was reframed to 185 to 1 for the Book of the Dead edition at the request of Raimi. The actual uh, reframing, from what I understand, was handled by Bruce Campbell. Hmm. So there's some other different aspect ratios there, different numbers. I'm not sure that's a typo or that's actually happened. Because it sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. But judging by that, seems like not many people saw the full frame. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but even so, like the the director and the star of the movie cut the you know the mm. the widescreen version to be um to their specifications so i don't think you can go wrong with that yeah i mean if you watch it in the the full frame it's it does kind of give it more of a grindhouse feel i guess or you're watching a home video or a a video nasty if you're in the uk yeah (laughs) because they gotta have a cute name for everything I hope they. Uh, speaking of the UK, I hope they enjoyed watching our our own Minnesota Vikings mm-hmm. bring the uh, joys of NFL football over to their uh, <laughs> side of the ocean. Cast and Ted Lasso was there at the game. There was a lot of kicks. Mm-hmm. Adam Thielen had Ted Lasso uh, cleats on. Adam Thielen before the you know in the lead up to the game, he was talking about oh they love the kicking game over there. And uh, the Vikings made sure they did not disappoint them (laughs) (laughs) by kicking an excessive amount of field goals. (laughs) And they got, uh, they got the double doink. That's something that only a select few Americans have ever seen. (laughs) The last time I saw a double doink was at WrestleMania (laughs) nine. Do tell. (laughs) There were two doinks or maybe it was just an illusion. I don't know. It's hard to tell. What's a doink? Doink the clown? Hmm. You're not familiar with doink the clown? <laughs> no. Which well WrestleMania was this? WrestleMania nine. No, that's definitely not familiar with that one. So uh just for the, the wrestling nerds at home, uh, what venue was that at? It was in Las Vegas. They built like a makeshift arena in the parking lot at uh, Caesar's Palace. Okay. Can I ask you another question? Sure. You probably get this a lot. This isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? What do you mean? Did, did um Did Caesar live here? Um no. I don't think so. It was the world's largest toga party for the like 8,000 people that they fit in there. <laughs> <laughs> is this the real Caesar's Palace? Caesar's Palace in uh, Las Vegas. Caesar and Cleopatra were there themselves. Mm. All right. Well, we can kind of get started with this movie and then kind of breeze through it. <laughs> there aren't many clips. Like we said, so much of this film is it's hard to talk about because it's so visual with the, with the camera work. Yes. It opens up with the, I guess, watery font, the Evil Dead, and we get the opening demon cam spirit cam whatever you want to call it and then it kind of cuts to uh the five college-aged kids on their way uh, on vacation to okay so you know i've seen some of those uh, lists that people compile of uh 
it'll be like a big map of the U.S. and it'll say each state's greatest film. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing Michigan, and it said The Evil Dead, and I was like, uh <laughs> yeah. They they say that they uh, they're crossing the Tennessee border. Yeah, very ex explicitly. And that cabin was in Tennessee. Yes. The filmmakers are from Michigan. Yeah, they are. I think the second one might be set in Michigan. Yeah, the the cabin in the original Evil Dead burned down the next year mysteriously. Raimi once joked that, oh, this thought that he joked, like, yeah, I burned it down. <laughs> I guess it had to have been a joke. Uh, but I think most people suspect it was, uh, you know, a lot of kids would cursed. go there and party and yeah, it was cursed. cursed. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of kids would go there and party and it would probably just burn down accidentally. Accidentally people, uh, you know, smoking doobies, partying yes. in it, vagrants. <laughs> but yeah, future installments take place in Michigan. Yeah. I mean, Ash versus Evil Dead is very michigan-y until he goes to jacksonville very much and i don't know if they uh the kids might be from michigan but it's definitely not yeah. set in michigan well one of the girls is wearing a michigan state sweatshirt yeah so i'm guessing they're vacationing you know they're coming from michigan going to tennessee i think we're obligated to talk about sam Raimi's car too the delta which is in every thing that he ever made <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool and uh what is the what is the story it's the car that he lost his virginity in or something like that and so he puts it in every movie yeah i forget TV show he does the delta where was it in uh dr strange oh i don't remember yeah. i don't know if i saw i was probably just parked on the street somewhere hmm. but um i don't know i hated that movie so much it was so dumb <laughs> <laughs> i probably missed it because i was rolling my eyes too hard yeah <laughs> uh so we got the the college kids on a road trip scott's driving i was wondering did you notice that he's drinking out of a mason jar was he drinking moonshine yeah i don't know what he was drinking because i mean yeah it could be water but i've never seen Somebody, I guess, just drink water out of a mason jar. I mean, I guess it is early 80s. You know, it's not like there's a lot of bottled water around. And but these are college kids, so they're they're gotta be drinking. Yeah, back then it wasn't uh it wasn't the cool thing to do, I don't think. Uh now it's the hipsters drink out of mason jars. <laughs> that's that's the that's the hipster thing to do. <laughs> Speaking of which, I rewatched Heather's last night. <laughs> And uh, well, they try to they set up the the double suicide with the the football guys. Yeah, they include the mineral water. <laughs> <laughs> I think why not a rider is like well, so what? And you know, <laughs> it's like come on, it's mineral water. <laughs> you either can't be drinking this unless you're a lady, you know. Yeah. So. Uh... What's the deal? Suicide, double suicide. They shot each other. Hey, that's Kurt Kelly. Yeah, and the linebacker, Ram Sweeney. My God, suicide, why? Does this answer your question? Oh, man, they were fags. 
He pulls out the middle of water and goes, here's your answer. <laughs> and it's, it's a glass bottle of mineral water, you know? Oh, that's great. I liked it, but I, I got to tell you, it didn't hold up as much as I thought it would. The third act, I wasn't as enamored with. I love the first act. Second act's okay. And then, I don't know. That was the third act. I was like, eh. Three stars. Yeah, I watched that maybe a year or so ago. I'll have to watch it again so I can log it on Letterboxd. But uh, I thought it was pretty good. It's, yeah. uh, it's, I don't know. It felt different watching it after seeing the miniseries that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, I never watched that. Don't. <laughs> I don't think they ever finished it, honestly. They, uh, like they, so they built up to the whole thing with the guy bombing the school and then like there was a mass shooting somewhere so like they canceled like they were showing it like two episodes a night for a week and then like on the third or fourth night there was a, a mass shooting so like they didn't show it and then they, they they mashed the last couple episodes together and they cut out the the school bombing and uh it just like just ends like abruptly <laughs> It, it doesn't even make sense did they cut out the uh the shooting in the beginning when he he fires blanks at the two football players in the cafeteria i can't remember if they included that part or not because all he does is get suspended maybe well i i don't remember if they included that or not because it's there's differences like the um the first girl who dies in the movie she survives in the tv series so um yeah and then one of the one of the heathers is a dude <laughs> so anyways all right uh back to evil dead they almost drive into a uh an oncoming truck because they're mm-hmm. driving on the rocks out of the road he blames it on the car mm-hmm. what's wrong with your steering wheel well just before oh, that i got this... it tuned up yesterday <laughs> the spirit cam uh was going through the woods and then it you kind of see it look upon the car. So I guess yep. it affected the car. The wheel like jerked itself, basically. That's what he claimed. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. He was kind of driving on the wrong side anyways. And it was a narrow road and bendy. And and then they, the, they go over the bridge to the, get to the cabin. And uh, that thing's falling apart already. And <laughs> some of the boards fall out underneath the wheels and not very safe but it's like the only way in and out Mm -hmm. yeah very rickety bridge and they get to the ominous cabin with the the suspended bench that's out on the porch it's yeah the bench swing or whatever you want to call it yeah slamming against the the, the house i love that and then it just stops when he reaches up and grabs the key Mm -hmm. which is on top of the the door jam yeah, and, uh, that and I guess everyone up. just puts it back up there when they go inside because it's up there later too. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I was trying to think of that was somebody when went out and put it back up there. Yeah, they must just put it up there every time they <laughs> they go in the cab. Yeah. I guess you know you you don't expect like you would need it. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Like who's gonna come and bother you? Unless it's that new M. Night Shyamalan movie that's coming out, Knock at the Cabin. You yeah. heard about that one? 
Uh, yeah, actually, isn't the Batista in that? Yeah, I saw the trailer for it uh, a week ago or so. Is it going to be good? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. It looks like there's a co-writer on it, so it might be okay. Well, Bautista is kind of so much up his own ass lately. He seems like he's only taking prestige projects. You know, he's a serious actor that doesn't have time for wrestling or Marvel movies anymore. Well, he says he's not going to take his shirt off anymore. <laughs> Which, I mean, he's in his 50s. Like, I, I don't blame him, you know? Yeah. And he's he's looking, you know... <laughs> He looks like a roided up 50 some year old. It looks like he was on steroids for years and years and then stopped <laughs> and, uh, but still try to, you know, maintain his muscles. Mm. So I don't blame him, but he looks weird, you know, because he's so much bigger than everybody else anyways. Yeah. He kind of looks, uh, <laughs> and he's got like long arms, like, so it's, um, I don't know anyways, but, uh, big knuckle dragger. Yeah. I was trying to, say it without sounding racist <laughs> what what race is he i think he's filipino can mm. you say he looks kind of gorilla ish like he's got <laughs> long arms and he's really muscular and like it looks like he might drag his knuckles on I don't well, know. He's got a big knuckle, the term knuckle dragger i've never thought to be a racial term thought it meant to be uh to insult someone's intellect basically that they haven't evolved like yeah they're dumb like a caveman yeah Sure. Troglodyte. Yeah, I saw that movie. Trog. Oh, I'd <laughs> never heard of it. With uh it's the one that uh I well it was um Joan Crawford's last movie, I think. Mm. The Trog does a body slam on a guy. It's pretty funny, but like the rest <laughs> of the movie is just bad. <laughs> I felt bad for Joan Crawford. Cause she's like the only like legit actor in it and she's trying mm-hmm. so hard, but she seems so out of place. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the evil dead, which is actually a good low budget movie. <laughs> we should talk about that. Yeah. Back to the plot. Um, I think we can pretty much skip to the dinner. There isn't really much that goes on. They kind of, you know, they get their bearings. They look around the house. Anything of note happened be- uh, before dinner? Yeah, so so right before they do the dinner scene, um, Cheryl is drawing in her notepad, mm. and the clock stops, and you kind of hear on the wind, "Join us, join us," mm. and her hand becomes possessed, and it draws the uh, the book the of book. the dead, which uh, I I forget what they call it in this one. I I think in the later movies they call it the Necronomicon, don't they? Yeah, they do. But they don't call it that in this movie. They call it something else. Yeah. Which I think one of our clips they'll say it because it was on the tape that they find in the basement. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, everyone's having a good time making toast at dinner, basically. Until they're interrupted by the cellar door slamming open. Yes. It doesn't sound right. Slamming open. Bursts open. It That's bursts what it does. Open. Sure. Bursts open. Slam shut, bursts open. Pops open. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you see someone's arm push it up. <laughs> they didn't rig up like a like a fishing line or anything like that. It looked just looked like somebody just shoved it with their arm. Which it could have been one of the demons, you know. 
it rose such a clatter. <laughs> it's a deep cut. Christmas episode last year. <laughs> the rose uh, was suckic ladder. What was the? It's like rose such a ladder. Or something. Such a such a ladder. Yes, rose <laughs> such a ladder company. <laughs> Uh, anyways they sent scotty down to to investigate what's going on in the cellar hmm. nobody else will go down with him and he just he just stays down there forever (laughs) Uh, they find a really cool hills of ice poster at least part of one oh i didn't notice that oh yeah it's in the background it's kind of torn it isn't a full theatrical poster but it's a weird poster to find in that cabin because it seemed to be uh occupied by some kind of intellectual professor <laughs> before them yeah you see michael berryman's face and then i think you see like hills have eyes like the rest is kind of torn hmm. interesting i'll have to look for that next time yeah it's above the bench or whatever anywho um so they find what they find the dagger down there well, Ash has to go down to see what happened to Scotty. Mm-hmm. And uh, Scotty kind of sneaks up on him. And yeah, they uh, they found the dagger. They found the book. Scotty finds a, a shotgun and he says, I bet this thing still shoots. And then he points it right in Ash's <laughs> face. <laughs> and she's like, I bet it still does. And he looks up and he's like, oh, get that, that out of my face. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find the tape recorder. And so they bring all this stuff upstairs, obviously. And uh, they decide we need to listen to this tape on this tape recorder to see what's going on. Um, that leads to our first clip. Uh, although right before I play that, I want to play another one for you. So we're talking about the cellar door. We talked about the cellar door last week on Don't Breathe. And, uh, you know, I brought up Donnie Darko. What cellar door? This famous linguist once said that of all the phrases in the English language, of all the endless combinations of words in all of history, that cellar door is the most beautiful. Cellar door. Another connection to Donnie Darko. He takes his girlfriend to go see the Evil Dead at a midnight or a you know late night showing. Ooh. You know, you, you see them watching the screen, you can hear the dunk, you know, the 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 bench hitting the cabin and then you see like the delta driving through and you're like oh he's just watching evil dead hanging out and then he goes and burns down patrick swayze's house (laughs) (laughs) as one does yeah but uh yeah cellar door you know there's also another connection to don't breathe that i'll bring up later (laughs) okay (laughs) we did a couple movies in a row that have very similar things in it Things are getting a little repetitive on the horror extravaganza. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is the first clip with the the tape that they find in the basement. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. 
Here I continued my research undisturbed by the myriad distractions of modern civilization and far from the groves of academe. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian runes, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. It deals with demons, demon resurrection, and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant, but are never truly dead. They may be recalled to active life through the incantations presented in this book. It is through recitation of these passages that the demons are given license to possess the living. What you do that for? It's just getting good. I just don't want to hear it anymore, that's all. Hey, come on, I just want to hear the rest of it. No big deal. Tatra amistro bin hazarta. Tatir mano manzizon hazan so Shut it off. Kanda. Shut it off. Kanda. Going way back in the day of the Sumerians. Yes. We're going millenniums BC. Like five. <laughs> yeah. It was a good thing that guy recorded himself summoning the evil presence. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that they don't even say it themselves. Yeah. They don't read the book. Like they kind of glance through the book, but they don't really. I mean, well, it's obviously know. not in English, but yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be. You just have to say the words, and they don't. It's just off the tape recording. Well, even in uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, like he he knows some of the incantations, but he fucks them all up. <laughs> <laughs> he always he always fucks it up. <laughs> <laughs> like he learned just enough to like you know survive or send them to hell but he never gets them right so but anyways yeah well also like the the evil is already kind of out there but then like i guess them playing the tape gave the evil permission to start possessing people yeah full stop but yeah i mean it starts with the branch coming through the window which Mm -hmm. they brush off pretty quickly (laughs) yeah well it's just really windy out you know you (laughs) They saw the bench banging against the cabin when they drove up. I don't even know where that tree was that went through the window because there wasn't anything like that close to the the cabin, though. Yeah. 
was there like they had a pretty cleared out area around the cabin Mm -hmm. but uh i don't know ash so cheryl freaked out but ash thinks this is a good time to give his girlfriend uh linda a uh, a necklace with uh it's got like a little magnifying glass charm on it i don't know yeah it looked like it was in the shape of a, a personal mirror it looked like it was see-through though yeah exactly like it was a magnifying glass so yeah. it was kind of a weird design yeah like i mentioned earlier there's some campy aspects to this film but i do think it is generally creepy in a lot of spots like with the great camera work the the spirit cam and the the score the atmosphere it all comes together it's it's effective in the same way as Blair Witch was, I think. Yeah. Especially when, uh, you know, it's a long time before you see, I guess not a long time, but it's a while before you see uh, the possessed people in the cabin. Mm-hmm. So like that first half hour, it's, um, you see the spirit cam and you think you're going to see something, but you don't. So your imagination is uh, left to run wild, I guess. You know, it's always scarier when you don't, when you can't see it. It's um, usually. Right. And uh, yeah, the the smoke, uh, the atmosphere, the score, everything just comes together to make everything pretty creepy. Um, I guess the campiest parts of this, I guess, is some of the makeup. But on the other hand, I still think some of the makeup and special effects are pretty effective and gruesome, especially at the end. Yeah, I I think it's uh, I think it's pretty good actually. Yeah, I mean, some I, of it's un maybe unintentionally comedic, but others. Others are like, damn, this is brutal. There's a lot <laughs> right. of blood and like dismemberment and damn. Shit's hitting the fan. Is it Linda gets stabbed in the ankle? That's really brutal. Yeah. I will say the, the scene where Ash gives his girlfriend a uh, a necklace, he pretends to sleep as she like walks out of the room for a minute. Yeah. And they they, they call back to that later in the movie when he's digging a grave for linda and she's doing the same thing to him Mm -hmm. of course at that point she's been dismembered (laughs) (laughs) yeah because well linda had said i'm gonna go check on cheryl because she's so scared you know but then cheryl basically gets summoned outside by the spirits i guess she thinks somebody's out there so she chooses to go investigate by herself (laughs) Basically. I know somebody's out there. <laughs> I heard you. <laughs> and then the, the forest takes her. The trees are just falling all around her on mm-hmm. their own. And then uh, they, they kind of just trap her. And yeah. The forest has uh, its way with her. So we yes. get a, a tree rape scene here. Very much so. Um, so yeah, like what, where, where did you read it earlier? I said it was a attempted rape or an assault. Like, no, this a- is... That branch plunges right into the midsection. It sure does. It was in the IMDb parents guide. <laughs> and so that's, uh, we got two movies in a row with cellar doors. And we got two movies in a row with rape. I'm not a rapist. <laughs> we had a rape, you know, in the, in the cellar of the blind man's house. And then we have tree rape in this one. So Cheryl gets raped by the woods, mm-hmm. which um, basically allows her to be possessed. Because uh, then we, yeah, that, that's basically the next scene is where Linda's guessing cards, 
And uh, we're introduced to the first demon who's possessed Cheryl. So before that, Cheryl demands to go back to town. And the car won't start. And then it finally, it starts on like the fifth try. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, she's freaking out. Like, it won't let us leave. This is what it does. It won't let us leave. And then they find out the bridge is out. And Ash leaves the car to go investigate. <laughs> and he's gone for an awful long time. So she finally gets out of the car to look for him. And then he just like pops up behind her. And then, uh, yeah, they, they end up back in the cabin because like there's no way out. And um, yeah, I think that leads to the next clip. Yeah, I read that that was one of the first scenes they shot, if not the first scene, and they all got lost while they were filming it <laughs> on that bridge. On the, it was kind of far away from the cabin, and it was dark, and yeah. But uh, here's that first clip from inside the cabin. We meet the first deadite, I guess. Oh, we don't call it that. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> what suit? Um, diamonds. No, 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 wait. Um. Hearts. Oh my God, seven of hearts, you're right. Hey, Ash, I guessed the card right. Yeah, truly amazing, Linda. I don't know, I don't know, but I think it's really some sort of extra sense or something, you know, like ESP. Okay, try this. Okay, um, it's a seven. I don't believe it. Of spades. <laughs> Queen of spades. Four of hearts. Eight of spades. Two spades, jack of diamonds, jack of clubs. Why have you disturbed our sleep? Awakened us from our ancient slumber. You will die like the others before you. One by one, we will take you. So everyone, let's just go to bed. Sleep it off. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see what next. Oh, this is where Cheryl starts uh, levitating, right? Well, she was when she says that, and then she stabs Linda in the in the ankle with a pencil, which is very gruesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ash, Ash gets thrown into the first of like five bookshelves. <laughs> yeah, there's a surprising number of bookshelves in this cabin. And he gets thrown into each and every one and they all fall over on top of them. <laughs> Which is another little fun fact I read about. Here's a fun fact. You know, about the troubles of the production and the people getting hurt and the problems on set and people are showering or going days without showering and whatnot. Well, getting towards the end of the shoot, you know, the crew members were getting very cold. And so they had to resort to burning some of the furniture from the cabin. It got to a point where they basically burned all the furniture. Because in the final scenes, there is not much furniture in there, (laughs) so to speak of. So, yeah, it was all burned. Yeah. Keep them warm. Yeah, because it... I don't know if you mentioned it, but they were staying in the cabin while shooting and there was no plumbing and obviously no heat. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you could see when they were filming outside, it was quite chilly out. Um, So (laughs) less than ideal conditions. 
so yeah, Scotty uh, ends up attacking uh, Cheryl with a with an axe handle, <clears throat> and uh, they lock her in the cellar. And uh, you know, we kind of decide like, what do we do from here? Linda can't walk; she's kind of bedridden. Yeah, I have a I have a clip actually. It might be our last one. Linda's still sleeping. I think what's her I'm getting out of here. Scott, we can't take Linda anywhere with a leg like that. We don't even know if there is any other way back besides the bridge. Well, maybe there's a hiking trail or an old road or some other way around the cliff. I mean, there's got to be another way besides the bridge. Listen to me. Linda cannot walk with a leg like that. She can't even stand up. Well, then we'll leave her here. Until we can send somebody back. What are you crazy? Look, I'm getting out. I don't care what happens to her. She's your girlfriend. You take care of her. I'm getting the hell out of here right now. Such a douche, Scott. He's like Scott from South Park. (laughs) Scott from South Park. The Canadian. Don't you remember the Canadian Scott? Everybody hates Scott. Was that from like season like two or three? No, it's probably. I'm thinking of Pip. <laughs> no, there is a probably a, I don't know around season ten maybe. I forget. Scott like tries to take that with uh, Terrence and Philip, and uh, everybody hates him. I think he's French Canadian. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> Shelley gets possessed. Mm-hmm. Shelly, oh. Shelly, come on, Shelly. Yeah, the girls, the three girls, are the first to be possessed. And like Scott says, you know, I'm out of here. He just goes right out the front door, but we never see what really happens to him. So we just see him again when Ash is dealing with uh, Shelly. No, Cheryl, because that's when they have to they kick Cheryl down into the, into the cellar. I think. Yeah, I'm trying to think when uh, when Scott left, as he goes out in the woods, and yeah, because based on that clip, it went after Linda got stabbed, mm-hmm. and uh, Cheryl already would have been in the cellar, and so he must have came back after Shelley got possessed. Yeah, perhaps. I forget, but I know it's one one by one. If uh... Cheryl, then. Shelly then Linda? I think so. Because Shelly got possessed. I, I got in my note. Shelly gets possessed after Cheryl's in the cellar. Mm-hmm. Um, the evil comes in through her window and gets her. Yeah. She throws Scott into a fire. No, she attacks Scott and Scott throws her into the fire. And yep. then she throws Ash into another bookcase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, Shelly has the ancient dagger and she tries to uh, to attack Scott with it and he stops her but he cuts her her wrist and she bites her hand off mm-hmm. and the hand that she bites off stabs her in the back and then she squirts milk <laughs> <laughs> she sure does and then Scott axes uh, Shelly to pieces Oh, I thought um, you were talking about like he asked her a question or something. I was like, what? <laughs> he asked her, he asked her what? 
Not like Looney Ben Jim. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you again. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so so this is they go and bury Shelley, and then I think the clip that you just played is right after that. So yeah, so he leaves after they bury Shelley, and then we see the the wound on Linda's leg just starts spreading. It's spider webs. The, the possession. And uh, Scott I think returns. they use some stop motion for that, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And there's a lot of cool, yeah, there's some really cool uh, stop motion, especially towards the end there. Yes, uh, for sure. Raimi using all the tricks for this film. <laughs> and like I said, he it became a, a trademark for him, and it works really good in the Evil Dead movies, but like, yeah, it becomes a bit much in his, uh, you know, some of his other movies. Then again, I don't know. Like, I didn't really care for his Spider-Man movies. I never even bothered watching the third one because I didn't like the second one. I heard that's one of the best superhero movies ever. I haven't seen any of... I've never seen a Spider-Man movie. I'm not a huge Spider-Man fan in the first place, but... uh, I've never cared about Spider-Man. Like, the first one was okay, and then the second one was eh. I was a DC Batman kid growing up. But people tell me that the second Raimi Spider-Man is like the best superhero ever. Yeah, superhero yeah, movie ever. And I'm like, I don't get it. It's <laughs> not that good. Yeah. I guess uh, from Marvel, I was really into X-Men. But yeah, they're not true Marvel, right? Because they, yeah, they are. haven't been. Uh, I know, but they haven't well, they're, been well, they're, part of the Marvel Universe for the past 15 years. Well, the movies were all spread apart. Like... Because Sony had the rights. X Men was with Fox. Yeah, Spider Man was was Sony. That's right, Spider Man, Sony, and then uh, X Men with Fox. I forget. I think the Punisher was like Lionsgate or something, and then like Marvel became its own studio at some point and Mm -hmm. started, you know, buying back everything. And then Disney bought them, and now they all suck. Yeah, I was big into X-Men, but I didn't care for any other Marvel property, really. I like Iron Man after I saw like Iron Man, the movie, but I never cared for him growing up. I saw the first Iron Man, and I thought, oh, that was okay. Yeah. I don't need to see any more of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, there aren't really... I never gave a shit about Captain America, uh, Hulk, Doctor Strange, n- nothing. Oh. They never did it for me, except for X-Men, Marvel-wise. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Batman and Superman, that's all I need. I was never huge on Superman, but Batman was my shit. Yeah, me too. Batman and X-Men, that was it. Just real quick. <laughs> so, so, we've gotten to all three women are possessed. Cheryl is in the uh, basement yep seller um shelly gets burned and linda has kind of finally i guess revealed her demon self to ash by laughing at him yeah shelly's been uh axed to pieces and buried at this point mm-hmm. um but linda is possessed and then scott comes back and he's injured yeah yeah we don't um, see how yeah he just comes. You assume he got forest raped. 
<laughs> comes back and it's like, yeah. you can help me with Linda? He's like, no, I'm just going to take a shower. He was bleeding from several places. Uh, we didn't get a good look if uh, if he needed a rape kit or not. But uh, Give him a, a blanket and some cocoa. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, and they all just have a good laugh at Ash. Who has uh, managed to avoid being possessed through this whole thing? I don't know if you got a clip for this or not, but uh, no, I don't have any. More yeah, clips. they all they all laugh at Ash, and then uh, and then like Linda and Cheryl both turn back to normal, and like they start playing towards his sympathies, and then uh, and then it was just a trick. They're just fucking with them. They're still possessed. <laughs> Yeah, this is where Ash drags Linda outside. And then he, uh, I don't remember all this stuff, but uh, my notes don't make a lot of sense either. So it says Ash drags Linda outside, and then Ash tends to Scott, but Scott is dead. Yeah, then, he's, he's trying to give him some water, and it's just kind of pouring in and out of his mouth, and he has all these wounds he's bleeding from, and he's just kind of dead there. Right. And then Linda slashes Ash with the ancient dagger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is this when he and, takes her out to the, the shed? Yeah, it must be. Uh, like He must take her outside and then go back to tend on Scott and then go back outside to deal with Linda. Either that or I wrote my notes out of order. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think I did. Um, I mean... That's uh, another little fun fact. That shed scene was edited by Joel Cohen. Oh, Minnesota's own. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. 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 It says here, after the extensive filming process, Remy had a mountain of footage they had to put together. It shows a Detroit editing association where he met Edna Paul to cut the film. Paul's assistant was Joel Cohen of the Cohen brothers, who helps with the film's editing. Paul edited a majority of the film, although Cohen edited the shed sequence. Cohen then was, you know, kind of inspired by Raimi's Within the Woods, which was the precursor to Evil Dead, and kind of liked the idea of producing a prototype film to kind of build interest and try and get a, some financing. So that's how they kind of used that to help make Blood Simple, their first film, mm. which came out in 84, to look it up, but thereabouts. Yeah. I think, yeah, now that you mentioned that, I think they, uh, in that Bruce Campbell Q&A that was before the, the movie mm. last year, I think they brought that up. That does sound familiar. Blood Simple's from 84. So it didn't take too long after this. Been friends ever since is what I read here. Isn't that <laughs> nice? Happily ever after. All these people in IMDb always know everyone's relationships so they work together once so they've they send each other christmas cards every year and <laughs> pictures of the family you know they go they vacation together in bali and... <laughs> of course they do why <laughs> wouldn't they that's how life works mm-hmm. yeah so uh so ash uh he put he causes linda to fall onto the the dagger and yep. she spits milk. I, I just kept writing. She, she spits milk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's yeah, a lot of then, milk spitting in here. 
yeah and then uh from there he uh he brings her in the tool shed uh where he can't bring her bring himself to the chainsaw her um so he drags her outside to, to dig her grave yeah because the, the video the guy on the videotape or on the audio tape said that basically had to resort to dismemberment to stop the possessed yeah and this is where he's digging the grave and this is where linda wakes up and then pretends to play dead when he's looking and they do the back and forth like before when he was doing it to her mm-hmm. so that was kind of funny <laughs> it was kind of cute it's kind of <laughs> cutesy wootsy <laughs> but cheryl breaks out of the cellar uh, as ash is burying linda but linda breaks out of the grave and scratches the shit out of ash's leg which is another pretty gruesome scene yeah Ash really uh, gets fucked up in here. <laughs> he does, and somehow he doesn't get possessed. Like, I yeah. I'm not sure. Although, spoilers for the end, I think he kind of does at the end. Yeah. yeah. I forget how they treat that. I really want to watch the second one now, so I see how it begins. <laughs> well, I think it begins like the same way that this one does. So I don't know. I haven't seen that in, in a long time either. So I'll, I I need to rewatch that one. Maybe too. it'll be just like I thought. This was the second one's basically just a remake of the first, the better budget. It kind of is, but I think they they obviously uh, lean hard into the comedy in Evil Dead too. But I think I think they hint that it has happened to him before, though. Like yeah, I can't remember I how they know. handle that. Just like kind of a, a joke here and there, but uh, Evil Dead fans are screaming into their iphones i know <laughs> i know evil dead 2 ends with him being sucked into the heavens and then like he ends up in metal medieval times him and general zod <laughs> i'm sure we'll this will be a stay tuned i'm sure we'll do evil dead 2 next year or the year after or something so yeah i'd be up for that for sure yeah anyways after after linda scratches the shit out of Ash, Ash's leg, he picks up a two by four and just smashes her with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, decapitates her with a shovel. And then he goes back inside the uh, the cabin, and Cheryl uh, ambushes him from the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uses the uh, the shotgun to shoot her finally, but she uh, she keeps coming. And then he goes down in the cellar to get more ammo, and uh, everything is bleeding because that's uh, sure that's is. something that happens. Something that happens in every Evil Dead movie. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see the remake? Yeah, I've seen. Uh, I don't know if I've seen clips or just like still shots or something, or maybe it was just the advertising for it, where it's just blood everywhere. My steel book uh, is pretty sick. It's all red. Has a disheveled looking Jane Levy on on the cover. <laughs> a battered and bruised and cut up Jane Levy. Oh man. Rocky. <laughs> it's a nice ladybug tattoo, but there's a story behind that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry I brought it up. Jeez. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that's the last time I'm gonna mark my body. <laughs> I wish I had not asked. So what, what's with all the other bullshit tattoos that you have then? <laughs> it's like she looks like she has a dozen tattoos. 
But this ladybug yeah, one is she, once she gets it filled in, that'll be the last time she marks her body. And what what possessed <laughs> her to do it now? Like, oh, my mom used to lock me in the trunk of my car for uh, of her car for hours at a time, and a ladybug would come and keep me company t- sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, yeah, everything's bleeding. The projector, <laughs> there's a projector, the pipes, the walls, the record player. I guess he's down to the basement again. I think he's, he's looking for more shells for the shotgun. Yeah, he's looking for ammo in the cellar. There's a projector and record player that start on their own and they start bleeding. And then uh, the the clocks upstairs go crazy. Yeah. And then like Ash is by himself uh, all of a sudden. Shoots out a window. Here's footsteps on the roof. And uh, we get the classic like Jason Voorhees attack. You know, through the through the door, grabbing him as he's <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> against the the door. I didn't think about that, but that's hundred percent accurate. That's one of my favorite things about the Friday the Thirteenth series is when Jason Voorhees uh, has a victim leaning against the door or wall, and he just like busts through from behind and grabs <laughs> them. <laughs> it's funny because uh, we're about to watch the original again for next episode, and obviously, Mrs. Spoilers, uh, Mrs. Voorhees is the killing the first one and i doubt she breaks through any doors or walls <laughs> to kill anyone so we probably don't get any of that until the second one at least i don't even know if he does it in the second or the third i would think in the third he does maybe in the third in the he does in the fourth he does for sure mm-hmm. i, I want to say fourth fifth and sixth for sure he does it i'm not sure about the others because maybe you could say Voorhees borrowed from Evil Dead then. Yeah, I don't know if Evil Dead invented this. I mean, somebody else must. Maybe Michael Myers was doing it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, not in the first one. See, Halloween 2 was 80 or 81, right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe they did invent it. It's a mm-hmm. cool move. Yeah. I'm glad they did. It's probably from Looney Tunes or some shit like that. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. They probably used that uh, Lenny of Mice and Men character to do it one time or something. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hug him and pat on him. Yeah, anyway, Ash escapes from it and he shoots Cheryl in the face. Uh, Scott's possessed. He attacks Ash. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Ash pushes his eyes in. Yeah, and he, I think he pulls a rib out. The last five ten minutes is just blood and gore. This chaos. Does he pull Scott's rib out? Did I see that correctly? I'm not sure. I'd have to watch it again. He like gra- reaches in, reaches into his midsection and pulls something out that appears mm. to be maybe a rib. Yeah, and so it's it's Ash versus like everybody, you know, who's possessed evil dead. at this point. Ash versus the evil dead <laughs> at this point, um, although not quite uh, officially. Um, <laughs> but uh, so he goes for the book, uh, and they're all kind of sprawling out on the floor. Scott has his leg. Cheryl's beating him with a fireplace poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ash uses his uh, 
necklace that he gave to Linda to pull the book towards himself. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of a I don't takes know, forever. Kind of an <laughs> unrealistic thing that happens. Yeah. Of course, you know, in this movie, who are we to judge what's realistic or not? You know, I'll accept the, the demon possession <laughs> all that shit, but him pulling a book with a necklace, that's where I draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he gets it, he throws the book on the fire and uh, it causes Cheryl and Scott to dissolve, basically. Uh, and then some weird shit starts happening. Arms break out of Cheryl and Scott and then they just explode and then they start rotting some more. And uh, Ash has made it till morning, and he uh, he survived, and he walks outside, and then uh, it ends with the, uh, the spirit cam rushing at him. Mm. So it's kind he of screams. Implied, yeah, it's kind of implied that he either dies or gets possessed. Yeah, but how is there an Evil Dead too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out when we cover that one next year. Because um, I don't recall. I, I think it's, like we said, it's probably just a bigger budget remake of this movie uh, with a couple of tweaks. Or he survived and, uh, you know, he got away. And he's like, you know what we should do? I should get all my buddies together. We should go to this creepy cabin on the woods. <laughs> This one's in Michigan. It's fine. <laughs> what this are the odds that down. there's another book of the dead there <laughs> that hasn't been burned up in the This fire? one's different. This one's called the Necronomicon. <laughs> I think that one's more famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, any final thoughts or did you want to get into a few more uh, little fun facts? We've got over a bunch already, but I think we've stressed uh, the points of emphasis here about how influential it was on future horror film and uh, horror films and the genre and how innovative it was. Very creative for how low of a budget it had. Anything else you want to add before we throw out a few fun facts? Yeah, I guess, I guess we can, you know, kind of stress the point. If, if you haven't seen this original one in a while and, um, you thought like the, the second one was the, the best one in the series. I would say give this one another shot because I I think you and I both came to the realization that it's it's a lot better than we originally thought it was. Yeah. And uh, we, we gained a lot more appreciation for it. Yeah, it wasn't just an, an ironic, fun film, you know. I didn't just enjoy the, the campiness. I had I enjoyed and appreciated the the finer aspects of the film, which surprised me because I thought it was pretty much all camp going in. I, f- I forgot right. how technically sound it actually is. In fact, I think Evil Dead 2 might be campier than this one, but more intentionally. Oh, yeah. yeah, intentional. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, this, this one's more of a straight... Like, there's, there's a few comedic parts in there, but it's more of a straight horror film and the, te- the technique that they used uh, to film it is really uh, really impressive um, mm-hmm. for the budget that they had and the cast and the crew and all that stuff. And like I said, some of the the gore, the special effects, the makeup, some of that, you know, it's all low budget. 
Some of it's not as effective as other parts, but a lot of it, especially towards the end, made me squirm. You know, there's a lot of very unsettling shots of gore. And it's pretty intense. I was really impressed with the special effects um, mm-hmm. this time around. Um, like I said, I agree. At the end, especially, was was really impressive. With all the 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 deadites, you know, they're not known as deadites, but the deadites that they're all decomposing. You know, the stop motion, and they're like pus is squirting out of everything, and yeah, just nasty. It's all practical. Yeah, and have CGI in nineteen eighty one. So. Well, there are a ton of trivia items on IMDb. We'll just go over a few. We went over a bunch already. I got a lot of that from different places on the internet. A lot of it's on Wikipedia. Wikipedia has a very extensive production history of this film and its influence and I guess lasting impact on the genre, that sort of thing. But um, I see here in the IMDb trivia, Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. So some critics have called the tree raping scene where Shell is raped by possessed weeds to be misogynistic. And even Sam Raimi regrets putting it in the film. Bruce Campbell admitted to regretting the scene where he repeatedly and violently, and violently slaps Linda. Called bullshit. Yeah. Even if, okay, even if they, if they did say that, I guess it wouldn't surprise me that it's 2022 that they're saying that, but ugh. Come on. That's how you got that Disney job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> With the character that has the uh, the pride flag on her shirt, even though she's from a different uh, universe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't remember seeing an article about that anywhere, but disappointing if true. Yeah. I mean, he's just saying that for, uh, you know, publicity's sake you know to to save his reputation in modern day hollywood he can't slap a possessed woman i mean come on dude i'm i miss when you could slap a lady to calm her down when did that <laughs> stop <laughs> I joke, I joke, I joke. Uh, it all stopped with roger moore it was such <laughs> a common trope that airplane had a whole set piece <laughs> dedicated to it yeah <laughs> Well, they become hysterical. I think it went through the the 80s at least. Sometime in the 90s it stopped. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I think if if someone is possessed, it's okay to slap them. I mean, he did decapitate her later. God forbid uh, he slaps her, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but he's not he doesn't apologize for that. Daniel Tosh had that bit about Heading a woman who's drowning your children. <laughs> Won't do it justice, but I figured you'd seen that one. Well, I remember he had a he had a joke about it's never okay to hit a woman unless she forgets to extend my recording on the basketball game, and then she's gonna really get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Here's a fun fact. Oh, I have uh, answered the question that you asked about what he pulled out of Scott. I remember watching it thinking, like, did he just yank his dick out of him or what? <laughs> like, what was that? Apparently, some other people had that same inclination, but it was actually uh, 
part of a, a tree branch that was stuck in him. And I remember thinking that too. Like oh, after he pulled it out, okay. like the blood flow was just massive. I was like, oh, that was a branch that was plugging the hole there. That's what that makes sense. I mean, because yeah. he got raped by the trees. <laughs> It was misogynistic to show Cheryl getting it, but not Scott. That's the problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they didn't show it. He actually regrets not showing Scott getting raped. So I'll defend it and say if they would have showed the Scott rape, would have been gratuitous at that point. <laughs> I mean, you can have one tree rape scene, but two, no. It would have been like when Marlon Wayans gets raped in uh, a haunted house. Rape me with a tree once, shame on me. <laughs> Rape me with a tree twice. Shame on you. I thought it was just egregious to have two tree rape scenes. <laughs> it's too much. It was redundant. We didn't need to see it twice. <laughs> Maybe if you showed him in the, the other order, like we don't know what happened to Cheryl, but then we see what happens to Scott and like, oh, I guess Cheryl got raped too. Well, how else are we going to figure out why she's acting like such a bitch? <laughs> I mean, she was acting that way in the car, so. <laughs> <laughs> she was like the fifth wheel, wasn't she? She was the only one that was going yeah. solo. Was she Ash's uh, sister? Yeah, well, yeah. Wait, because I know she... Ash's sister was there, but I can't remember if it was Cheryl or Shelly. Because I think Cheryl was the only one that called him Ashley. Might have been, yeah. Everybody else called him Ash. I think that's grounds to kill her anyways, calling him Ashley. What was his nickname in the in the TV show? Slashy Ashy or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Ashy Slashy? Yeah, Ashy Slashy. Ashy Slashy. Remember the, the little puppet? The little <laughs> puppet was great, too. Let's revisit that. Uh, the only thing is, it's disappointing that they, at the end of the third season, you could tell they would have had more material for season four, maybe five. Yeah. And it was more or less canceled. I mean, it ends, but it it's almost like it ends on an epilogue, you know? Like, here's another season that you'll never see. Well, they're going to, like, the future or something like that. It was weird. Yeah, um, there's, like, another dimension, I think. Yeah, aren't they making a new movie? Or they were going to? But I don't, well, think, yeah, the, I don't think Bruce Campbell's I think it's called Evil Dead Rise. Yeah. It's a sequel, I believe. And, uh, yeah, it comes out next year. And everyone's involved, but... You know, Bruce Campbell said that Ash Williams is retired. Yeah, I was thinking he wasn't going to be in it. Yeah, he's not, to my knowledge. He's a serious actor now. I mean, he was the best part of Doctor Strange, the new one. And I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing he's the best part of Burn Notice. <laughs> See, I didn't, I didn't know about the Evil Dead when I when Burn Notice was on TV, and so like they showed those commercials during Monday night raw all the time. Cause he's on the same <laughs> network. And I'm like, this guy is so annoying. I fucking hate him. <laughs> and then like, I started watching the evil dead stuff. I'm like, Oh, he's actually pretty fun. Yeah, I like him pretty good. You know, but like not knowing anything about him other than what I saw in the commercials for burn notice. I'm like, I can't stand this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I kind of changed my mind on him after seeing more of his more famous stuff because i didn't know he was famous before that like i didn't know like he had uh like a reputation mm -hmm. here's another fun fact so the magnifying glass necklace which you were correct about 
was originally intended to be a plot point by focusing the sunlight to burn the Book of the Dead, but it was decided after shooting began that this isn't that this wasn't going to work. So its actual use in the film was a desperate attempt to keep it relevant since so much film time had been spent on it already. So you're right about a magnifying glass. Here's a fun fact. One thing we didn't uh, mention was Bruce Campbell put up his family's property in Northern Michigan as collateral so that Sam Raimi not only could finish the film, but also blow it up to 35 millimeter film, which was required for the theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Ramey was so grateful for his financial contribution he credited him credited him as a co-producer yeah and i want to say I don't, I don't know if it's in the trivia here but i want to say bruce campbell got paid in royalties or uh whatever you call it the percentage of the, the yeah. gross profits yeah yeah Which, well i mean uh, they <laughs> him and Ramey they grew up together and they've been friends since an early age and and uh, yeah, he started out as a producer on this and he became the lead actor mostly because he was one of the only people that could be around for the entirety of shooting. Right. That's kind of how it all started. And I mean, I mean, he's financially invested in it. He acted in it. And then it obviously led to big things for him. He's had a long and storied career. Yeah, and I want to say he he said he basically, you know, has made his living off of this Evil Dead movie, yeah, because of it, and so like he can just like kind of do whatever he wants yeah. because of that financial, you know, success based on the the early. Uh, Everyone adores him too. Movie. He seems like good people. Yeah, you know. As much as I hated him seeing, you know, in those burn <laughs> notice commercials, you know, I thought he was kind of a, a pompous jerk, you know, but uh, that's his check. Well, you just don't know his character in burn notice very well. I didn't, I'm sure I didn't, Hans uh, from uh, Res Wonderbeds uh, movies podcast could tell you a thing or two about it. Like Speaking of burn notice, that other guy keeps popping up in other stuff recently. And I keep thinking it's Peter Berg, but it's the guy from burn notice. <laughs> yeah. He's been in like four things I've seen in the last year and a half. Yeah. And I'm like, is that Peter Berg? No, it's the burn notice guy. <laughs> and he's always got this smug look on his face. It's weird. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know why he got typecast into the specific character because it <laughs> seems so different from what he was on burn notice where he was like kind of fun and, you know, jokester and he's just super serious. And sometimes he wears glasses um let's see back to the trivia the original script called for all the characters to be smoking marijuana when they are first listening to the tape the actors decided to try this for real and the entire scene had to be later reshot due to their uncontrollable behavior Mm. here's another fun fact the blood is a combination of caro syrup non-dairy creamer and red food coloring at one point bruce campbell's shirt that he was that he wears in the film was so saturated with the fake blood that after drying it by the fire the shirt became solidified and broke when he tried to put it on final budget of the film was around 350,000 according to Ramey uh, made over 2.6 million at the US box office and i've seen other numbers worldwide from 2.7 to 29.4 i don't know why there's such a huge disparity there but yeah 
I mean, it led to much bigger and better things after this with Evil Dead 2, and it became pretty profitable. Do you have any more? I mean, there's so many on IMDb. We've gone over so many already. Yeah. I mean, the one last thing that I see that's kind of interesting uh, is most of the actors left the production after principal photography completed in winter of 79-80. There was much of the film to be completed. So most of the second half of the film features Bruce Campbell and various fake shemps to replace the actors who left. Yep. Yep. Which makes sense because because most of the second half is, you know, they're the rest of the cast is possessed, so it's mm-hmm. like they're in full makeup for most of it, anyways. Yeah, I guess I should mention that that the film attracted the interest of a producer, Irvin Shapiro, who helped screen the film at the '82 Cannes Film Festival, out of competition, of course. But Stephen King saw it there and gave it a rave review, which obviously led to a lot of buzz for the film resulted in new line acquiring its distribution rights i was to see that uh sam raimi was going to call the movie the book of the dead but Irvin shapiro changed the title to the evil dead for fear that kids would be turned off seeing a movie with a literary reference (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh yeah lots of trivia out there um pretty fascinating the uh, behind the uh, scenes type stuff mm-hmm. making of etc yeah the original evil dead give it another shot if you haven't seen it in a while incredible film very uh very impressive from sam raimi what would you rate it i would give it a soonish soonish i agree soonish soonish well where can the folks at home get some lovely wtm merch they can go to WTM, watch this movie.creator-spring.com. You can reach out to us. You can email us at watch this movie at yahoo.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd, my account slash the show's account, which is the same, is under Eric underscore Mulder. And you can find Brett at Positively Wolf One, which is the same handle as his Twitter. Uh, the show's Twitter is watch this underscore movie. You can check out our website at WTMWatchThisMovie.com and please rate and review, subscribe and have a podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you lost my case. Killer if you can, lover boy! <laughs> <laughs>